You're listening to a podcast brought to you by international law firm Trowers and Hamlins, combining market sector thought leadership, advice, and ideas, helping businesses and governments prepare for the future. Hello and welcome to a Trousers and Hamlin's podcast. Today that we are looking at our new report on building social value. In this podcast, we're going to be discussing the latest report following an initiative that we have been running with the Social Market Foundation. As some of you will know, if you've listened to our previous podcasts, as a firm, we have a long history of exploring the link between real estate and societal value and achieving positive and sustainable social outcomes. We believe that real estate has a huge, huge role to play, not only for the economy, but also for society. And we, as, as an engaged part of this industry, really do see the benefits that good development and good practice can bring in this way. In 2016, in collaboration with the Oxford Brookes University, we launched our highly valued, hard-to-value report. This looked at a wider assessment of value beyond financial measures in order to deliver better and more sustainable developments. In 2018, we took this initial research further and worked with Real Worth and our Real Value report, which sets out a methodology for financial valuation of the societal impact of development and presents recommendations to enhance existing methods of valuation for both the public and private sectors. More recently, we've worked with Ing Media's City Strategist, conducting two YouGov surveys and bringing together over 160 people across four city exchanges to examine real estate's role in providing the platform for society to thrive and be sustainable. What's been fascinating is since we've launched this research, the landscape has shifted. We've had COVID, the pandemic has made a major impact, but also the whole topic of societal value has come far more to the front of a conversation. There's far greater emphasis being placed on environment and far greater emphasis being placed on responsible management of businesses. So in the last year, we've really been focusing on this as well as our own commitment to responsible business and supporting our clients across all sectors to help them transform their organisations. I'm absolutely delighted that we've got Scott Core from the Social Market Foundation with us, who we commissioned to lead this project. Welcome, Scott. Hi, Sarah. And could you just give us a little introduction to what the Social Market Foundation is and does? Of course. So I'm Scott Corf. I'm the research director of the Social Market Foundation. We're a politically independent think tank. We speak to politicians of all, all sides of the spectrum. And what our work focuses on is, is really a wide range of things. We do a lot of work on public services reform, tax reform, how to make consumer markets work better, and also exploring this issue, the, the ESG agenda, and, and what is the purpose of uh, corporations, businesses in, in 21st century Britain. Uh, we're delighted to be working on this piece, piece of research with Charles and Hamlin's focusing on social value in, in real estate, um, really a sort of a two-phase project. Uh, the first phase of the project, which we published earlier this year, explored the attitudes in the developer and, 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 and investor community with respect to social value. How are they measuring it? How is it influencing decision-making? Uh, what are some of the barriers to embedding social value within the real estate sector? And then the second phase of the research, uh, which we'll be talking about, is, is, a, is more of a policy piece. What, what needs to be done to get the, the real estate sector to think about social value uh, in more detail and, and really embed it in, into organisations? And just going back to the first phase of the research, for those people um, who may be listening that haven't actually read this yet, sort of what was sort of one of the two of the key things that you pulled out of that research in talking to the investors? So really a range of things. First of all, we wanted to explore to what extent investors and developers were considering the S and ESG and, and to what extent they were measuring it. And there was a clear pattern here that the businesses felt that the S and ESG had risen up the agenda. They were giving more consideration as to how to measure it. And they were starting to embed it into their organizations. 
albeit to a different extent. So some of the the investors we spoke to were using off-the-shelf metrics, um, things like Social Value Bank, National Toms, to measure social value and social impact. Others have gone further and developed their own bespoke frameworks for for measuring and considering social value and thinking about how it's reflected in decision-making. And one other sort of interesting thing that came out of those discussions was this relationship between social value and the pursuit of it and the pursuit of the traditional business objective of maximizing profits. And I think one thing that was quite interesting was that there seemed to be a sense that there was a much less of a tension now between pursuing social value and pursuing profits, that actually in the long run, maximizing social value is is going to maximize long-run returns too, because with social value, you create a greater sense of place in, in real estate. Um, that reduces tenant churn in the private rented sector. It, it makes businesses stay in place for longer. It has these benefits uh, in terms of um, improved turnover and profitability of businesses and places. So there is less of this tension now, and that there is this alignment between social value and, and, and profit maximization. I mean, that's the positive that came out of these discussions, but we also uncovered some challenges with respect to embedding social value. So I think in particular, a couple of points that are worth noting here. So first of all, it's good that some businesses are measuring social value, but there is there was this concern expressed that it might be becoming a bit of a tick box exercise, that the real estate sector is adopting the, these metrics like national TOMs, but they're just trying to maximize their, their score on, on certain measures um, for public relations purposes, ultimately, and reputational purposes. And it might not be that, that authentic that authentic effort to, to embed social value within the organization. Um, so there is this risk about it becoming a tick box exercise. And then the other big challenge that, that came up in these, these depth interviews that we did was on accountability, that it's all very well and good, um, the real estate sector talking about social value and delivering it, but um, how do you ensure that the promises are kept and that social value does remain in place uh, in the long term. So in particularly thinking 10, 20 years ahead from the completion of a development where the, the development may well have walked away at that point, um, how do you ensure that those, those promises on social value are continuing to be met? I think that accountability piece is for me one of the greatest challenges in this space. Absolutely. And I think, you know, one of the things I think we discussed at the very beginning when we were looking at this, this research is that there's so much out there being written about how you can measure social value and what is societal value, et cetera, et cetera. But actually maybe not as much about practical solutions or practical examples of what we could do as an industry or the government could help us do to actually start actually embedding some of this. So could you just take us through some of the recommendations that are the key focus on the second report that, that we've done? Sure. So we looked at a range of policy areas and, and levers that could be pulled to help uh, help raise social value up the agenda further going forward and, and some, answer some of these challenges I talked about around, around accountability and, and avoiding this becoming a, a tick box exercise. Um, so first of all, there's a couple of recommendations that we make around how do we, how do we measure and report social value and uh, increase its prominence and how do we create these pressures on those that aren't doing the best things on social value to do so? So recommendation one in our report is the, the creation of a new social value kite mark for the real estate sector. So the idea of this is it would be quite a high level, easy to understand seal of assurance on, on what the developer is doing with respect to social value. Um, within that, there might be some kind of simplistic tiering of, say, bronze, silver, gold standard on, on social value delivery. 
this wouldn't be a, a hard quantification of the developer's social impact, but it would give people looking at different developers and trying to understand what they're doing on social value, a flavor of it and, and a feel for it. So for example, some of the things that this might include is, is whether the developer has a post-occupancy evaluation um, system in place for, for monitoring satisfaction after a development's completed. It might capture things like whether the, the developer is paying the London living wage to its staff um, and also staff along supply chains. And the extent to which the, the developer has uh, local level skills plans in place, for example, uh, apprenticeships plans to upskill local communities. So that kind of kite mark would give a really easy to understand feel for who is doing you know, at least a minimum amount of social value creation and who's going above and beyond to get the sort of gold standard on this kite mark. And we suggest in recommendation two of the report that's complemented with some additional measures with respect to financial products that relate to real estate. So the, the FCA is currently exploring the sustainability disclosure requirements on having some product labeling with respect to the, the E in ESG. Now, we think the FCA would be missing a bit of a trick if uh, sustainability disclosure requirements just focus on the narrow aspect of E in ESG. There is scope here to embed the S into how financial products are labeled and make it easier for people looking at different financial products to understand which products are doing the right thing on social value. And sort of to help this process, we also recommend the creation of a, a social taxonomy in, in the UK, um, mirroring some of the existing initiatives to create an environmental taxonomy, which aims to make it clearer what, what counts as being a green initiative and what, what doesn't. Uh, we should have a similar social taxonomy to clearly outline what counts as a social value enhancing initiative and a social enhancing practice. So better labeling of, of, of real estate products in the financial services space would, would be beneficial. That's sort of like the first set of recommendations around how we kite mark and label products. Just to come in there, Scott, would you say that this part of this is actually making this a bit easier for the industry, easier for them to actually access this and easier for them to understand what it is? Yeah, I think that that's, that's definitely right. There are a range of metrics already out there. Some of it is a bit, a bit complicated. Some of it's quite technical and, and does require quite a lot of resource on the part of the industry. So the idea of the kite mark is because it would be quite high level, it would be a bit simpler than some of these existing metrics. It would be a sort of entry level starting point for people that are just dipping their toes into the water in this space. It would give them an understanding of what some of the basic things they could, they could do to demonstrate social value would be. Yeah. So moving on from sort of sort of the kite mark style of recommendations, then I think you then looked more towards the planning system, didn't you? Yeah, that, that's right. So I think there's a number of things that we, we could be considering here to address this point around uh, accountability and ensuring that what, what is promised is delivered, delivered in practice, um, and also ensuring that social value is promised at the outset. So we, we make a number of recommendations here that aim to enhance the role of the planning system in, in terms of delivering social value. So one is the, the use of the plan new infrastructure levy to hold developers to account on any social value pledges. So if social value isn't, this promised isn't delivered in practice, there would be an opportunity to use the levy to recoup the social value that's not delivered using things like uh, so local plans and section 106 agreements to maximize and con contractualize social value. So um, we are seeing already some 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 local authorities demanding the uh, the developer produces a social value statement. Um, for example, these these kind of practices could be more widely adopted. Um, and then you've got some interesting things around uh, use of 
outcomes-based contracts to, to hold developers to account as well. So um, having a sort of financial reward for social value that's um, that's delivered and, and social objectives that are met. So I think there is there is perhaps a mixture of carrot and stick approaches here. The, the, there's a prospect of penalties if you don't deliver the social value that you promise using the, the infrastructure levy to recoup that. Um, but there's also the, the carrot-based approach of the, these outcomes-based contracts where you, you reward the, the, the creation of social value. But I think it's really important to note that there is this issue here, and this came up in the depth interviews we did in the first phase of the research around, you know, do local authorities have the, the resource and the manpower to give social value the attention that it deserves? And you know, really what came out of the, the depth interviews we did in the first phase of this project is there is quite mixed capabilities in local authorities across the country. Some are doing good things on social value, but I think it's probably fair to say that most local authority planning teams are are struggling with um, the lack of resource, um, and that's probably not going to go away anytime soon. So a couple of things we suggest in this paper to try and remedy that is, first of all, can you use things like the the infrastructure levy to fund the, the manpower needed in planning teams? And then also, can we adopt interesting models? Um, so for example, one thing we talk about is the use of a, a helicopter model where you get senior planners that are doing re really good things in the social value place space to, to go around to different local authorities across the country and uh, share their wisdom and share their best practice and, and get that knowledge disseminated through that channel. And having a system of secondments in place to get the top talent in, in, in the public sector in, into different local authorities. So I think, yes, there's things we can do with infrastructure levy, Section 106 agreement. But we also need to address this issue around manpower and talent. And, and given that you know, local authority finances are likely to remain under the cost for the foreseeable future, these helicopter models and secondments might be one way forward here. Yeah, and I think that that's really interesting as well, because a lot of the solutions that sometimes I put forward actually when you pick them apart puts more focus on probably more work on the local planning teams um, and I think it's an important point that, that the planning teams are under-resourced local authorities are generally under-resourced at the moment so whatever solutions or suggestions are out there need to take that into account so I thought that was really really interesting I, I mean the bits that you said at the very beginning which was about actually this is not just about when you're doing the development itself it's about actually being able to look back in time and say has this made a difference um, and i suppose it's all that the discussion about whether true societal value is outside of the red line of the development and, and and how that actually fits together with what we're trying to do so how have you looked at that post-occupancy sort of view of looking at it and how we would measure whether or not it's been successful or not so i think there's there's a couple of things here that we touch on within the paper the first point is can we ensure that post-occupancy evaluations are much more widely used going forward? So it really, this should become fairly standard practice that after a development is complete, there are, there are a set of metrics that you, you aim to capture X years after a development um, to ensure that, that social value has been, has been delivered in practice. So post-occupancy evaluation should become the norm and they should be, should be more widely used than at present. Um, but one other thing we talk about in the paper is whether something that ensures continuity when the original developer walks away from the development. So uh, one thing, and, th and this came out of the, 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 the Trials and Handlers Roundtable at MIPIM, is around this idea of a social value handbook that is passed on when the original owner of the development moves away. So this would be a handbook, or, you know, not necessarily a literal handbook, but it would be a standard and it would detail the social value commitments um, of, of the development. And that would ensure some continuity as a development is handed over. 
Yeah, and I think, I mean, again, I think we've had a number of roundtables over the past number of years around this discussion. And it's been really interesting in that I think probably about three or four years ago, you and I had started looking at that, where they'd actually done a development and then they were looking retrospectively back at, at how that impacts on the development. But I agree with you. I think if you look and see what post-occupancy evaluations are, there's no reason why so many more people can be doing this. And actually, there's no real excuse not to do it so I think that's a really interesting point and the social value handbook again is something that's um it almost seems like a no-brainer when you put it down on paper <laughs> and yet actually not, not many people have, have come up with this until we we held that account round table so it's been I think it's been really interesting to see what has come out of all these conversations um I mean just as a last point it is these recommendations have obviously been put forward and we're going to publish and launch our report at the London Real Estate Forum next week. But from your perspective, just look at it as part of a think tank is how do you see this evolving? Do you, do you see this becoming more and more important in terms of actually embedding this into the real estate sector? Well, I think in, in the medium to long term, yes, like uh, you, the E and the S and the G, all, all aspects of ESG are, are on the ascent. And the, this is clearly rising up corporate agendas. People are moving away from this idea that the aim of all businesses is just a, a narrow focus on profit. So I think in the in the long run, there will be this continued rise of in the embedding of ESG into decision making. I think the challenge perhaps is on the, the economic outlook for the next year or two, where we're heading into a, in all likelihood a recession. Um, you know, does that raise the risk that ESG falls by the wayside for a bit as, as, as businesses are focused on the, the more narrow needs around staying alive and and continuing to be solvent. And I think that's a, it's a good good point to end on in the sense that maybe that's exactly why we do need recommendations to be considered and, and embedded because it would be very sad if ESG did go backwards in terms of what society needs and actually what the what the planet and what the world needs. So I, I think it's a, it's a very interesting but quite scary time in terms of that, that cusp of where we're going with this. So thank you so much, Scott. Really appreciate um, that, that point. It's really fascinating. There's so much more in this report. So please, 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 those people listening, do, do read it. Um, it's a really interesting read. As I've said, we'll be launching the report next week at the London Real Estate Forum. But to read a copy of the report, please go to um, our website, trials.com and Building Social Value Insight on the homepage, or you can also follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter at Trowers. Thank you very much. You have been listening to a podcast brought to you by Trowers and Hamlins. Find us at Trowers.com and join in the conversation on Twitter at Trowers, or find us on LinkedIn and Instagram.